There was this man and he couldn't hear. He spent years of his life not being able to hear and he went to the doctor's office and the doctor was able to fit him with state-of-the-art hearing aids. And this man was so excited because when he left the doctor's office, he could hear 100% of everything. About a month later, he came back to the doctor for his checkup and the doctor said, wow, your family has got to be so thrilled and happy that you can hear. And he just shook his head and he said, I haven't told them. <laughs> he said, I've just been listening and I've had to change my will three times. <sighs> Some of us hear really well. Some of us here don't, don't hear at all. More commonly, though, there's a horrible diagnosis called selective hearing. Selective hearing is when you hear only the things you want to hear. And unfortunately, I am so sorry to say, it affects children. Children have selective hearing with their parents. I'm also very sorry to say it affects adults, especially ones that you live with a very long time. Everyone hears differently. There are a family, there is a family of deer that live in my backyard. Well, they don't live in my backyard, but they eat in my backyard. There are nine of them. And it's kind of hard to see them when they first appear because they like to hide in all the bushes and the trees in the periphery of the backyard. We only know they're there at first because the dog sees them first. The dog runs to the window and waits. And as soon as he sees the nine deer, he begins to bark loudly. And we all run to the window and... The deer get brave, they get courageous, and every single day they take over the backyard. It's true. And the deer, they taunt the dog. And the children see the deer and love it. I watch the deer eat the Linton rose and all the camellias that I have planted. I'm not sure what I see when I see the deer. But when my husband sees them, he thinks the whole thing is very amusing. We all see things differently. When I was in graduate school, I was the house mom of a sorority. It was a wonderful way for me to live on campus and work on campus while I went to school. And it was a great job, it was a fun job, it was an interesting job, and I learned a lot. One of the weeks, though, that was very important as a house mom was the week that people called Rush. And the only job I had during Rush was to sit in the kitchen and make chocolate chip cookies. Because the idea was, for that one day, the first time all of the new girls would come into the house, if they could smell chocolate chip cookies, they would think they were at home. So there I was in the kitchen. I took it as a great time to catch up with all of my studying and my reading. And so I was reading and I was making cookies. And halfway through, this woman, an alum, she runs in the kitchen. She's like, stop, take the cookies out, they're burning. 
And I was like, I don't know, they're not. They're not ready yet. She's like, we can smell them burning in the living room. And I was like, well, that's how they smell when my mom made them. (laughs) (laughs) To me, home smells like the French Quarter and burnt chocolate chip cookies. Everybody smells differently. And yes, everybody tastes differently. When one child thanks me for making the world's best kale soup, the other child begs me never to make it again. And yes, everyone loves differently and they live differently and they worship differently and they experience things differently. And thank goodness, because that is scriptural. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. It's a fun scripture. It's an interesting scripture. We learn a lot from this scripture. If you've been around church a little bit, you've heard this scripture. For me, I have done a lot of children's messages on this scripture. And when I do, I'm usually holding a Mr. Potato Head. And I have the Mr. Potato Head in one hand. Does anybody know what Mr. Potato Head is? Little do we know? And then I have all the parts in the other hand. And I have a conversation to say, where do all these parts go? Where does the ear go? Where does the leg go? Which nose do we want today? Which hat do we want to put on today? Which mouth? Another great way to talk about this scripture to children is using the hokey pokey song. You put your right arm in, you put your left leg in, you put your whole self in and shake it all about. Yeah, it's a great way to talk about this with kids. But for me, ultimately, this is the Mr. Potato Head scripture. And that's what Paul chose to talk about to the people of the church in Corinth. The people of Corinth, they fought. I know that's new. People in the church of Corinth actually fought with one another and they argued with one another. And we know that because we read Corinthians and it says it. And Paul is trying to correct their behavior using a Mr. Potato Head scripture. And actually, Paul didn't even come up with this metaphor. This metaphor was predating Paul. It's actually well-documented in great literature before Paul. And the idea of the original metaphor of the body as an organization was to say that there was one head of an organization, and the one head was the most important and impacted and directed the fate of the rest. And Paul takes what the world knows of that metaphor and does the complete opposite. Paul says, actually, 
for a church, there is no one head of the body. There's not one person to direct the fate of the rest. In church, we actually all belong together. No one being inferior or superior to another. There's not one person in the church, not even the head pastor, that's more important than the rest of the body. And so Paul is trying to remind the people of Corinth that the community of faith is built upon an egalitarian model. And it's that egalitarian model that calls all of us to the baptism waters despite age and stage equally. And it's that call that invites all of us to be nourished at a communion table despite age and stage equally. And it's that same call that we are reminded to incorporate all people within the body of Christ, no matter the age or stage, equally. Even when the church is not adequately, adequately expressing the unity, the spirit is calling us to it. Because the one thing that connects us all is the Holy Spirit that is flowing through us and the very only thing that is connecting us together. And no one person has it more than another. And Paul says it is not enough for the church to be a reflection of what's happening in the world. Church is not a reflection of the culture. Rather, the church should take on this egalitarian model and this spirit of unity and reflect back into the world and change the cultural norm. And it's the spirit flowing through us that calls us to it. And that's what makes church so frustrating <laughs> because we have to deal with all the people in it. And that's the worst when you have to worship and talk to and sit in a pew with people who don't agree with you. Isn't that horrible? I have a great friend. He is a campus minister and he's such a good campus minister. And he said, you know, my job as a campus minister would be so much better if I didn't have to deal with those college students. <laughs> it's like saying to a doctor, my, do my job would be so much better if I didn't have to deal with those patients. A teacher, my job would be so much easier if I didn't have to deal with, I know, the parents. <laughs> the point being that the very people that we are called to serve are the very people people that are the hardest. There have been so many things to fight over lately. There are friendships, long friendships that have been broken over these last years. There have been things to fight over like political votes and cultural issues of the day. And do we wear a mask or do we not wear a mask? Is it over or is it not over? Is it a five-day quarantine or a 10-day quarantine? There have been more arguments over the vision of a church building or how a church is making someone feel 
There have been so many arguments about preachers. And yes, I know every church always talks about their preacher. This is a normal thing. But now in a virtual digital world, it has gone to a whole new level. We are fighting over things and we are dividing among ourselves over it. And somehow in our sense of the world telling us to be in this independent survival mode, we have forgotten how to come back together and be connected in the body again. Because the only way that we grow and we live and we survive and we hear and smell and breathe is by doing it together so incredibly differently. It's hard. I remember so well my second church. I was working and there was another pastor there and she and I did not get along. She didn't really like me and I wasn't her biggest fan either. And we were so opposite that it hurt. You walked into my office and I was so incredibly organized. I had everything in the exact spot where it needed to be. I had all my files, all my paperwork, very organized. And I showed up at my church office the exact same time every single day. And I left at the exact same time every single day. I was so rigid and routine. I probably wore the same outfit, like a Monday outfit, a Tuesday outfit, every Wednesday. This other lady, when you walked into her office, you had to like push away the breakfast she had two days ago to find somewhere to sit. And whenever you walked in, you were like having to walk all over like these weird projects she had going on. And you never really knew when she was going to work. You knew she was working, but you never really knew because it just depended upon what she had going on. You could spot her on the cameras 24-7 at just strange work hours. And for some reason, they decided that it should be the job of the two of us to work together. <laughs> and our job was to come up with some incredible Lenten experience. They wanted us to figure out a way to help people experience Lent as they got ready for Easter. And the first few meetings, we just kind of stared at each other. And finally, because I was on a time frame, I'm like, you know, this is kind of clocking down, Lent's coming. We began to brainstorm. And through it, we came up with this idea of a wailing wall. Let me just let you know, I have no idea how she did it. The creative team that she led somehow created like this 15-foot, massive, beautiful wailing wall. It looked just like a portion of the ruined temple in Jerusalem. And it even had like slits in the stones or the fake stones so that people could slip prayers in them. It was gorgeous. And the worship team that I worked with Somehow we were tasked with the idea of making this re real for people. When people came in, what were they going to do? What were they going to see? What kind of liturgy could we offer to help them? How would we help them understand this wailing wall? The work of the worship team inspired the creative team. And the creative team's work inspired the worship team's work. 
And I have to tell you, it was one of the most incredible things in my ministry I've ever seen. Her ministry was a gift to me. And it took me a very long time to see it. Because when I first met her, I thought to myself, when it's my turn to hire, I'm going to be looking for people like that. And when I left three years later to run a church by myself, I tried to take her with me. Somehow, though, she refused to leave her husband in Virginia to come with me with my family to Kentucky. I told you we were different. I realized that my ministry was better when there were people around me not like me. Because guess what? I had me covered. And who doesn't want to have a bunch of rule-oriented, policy-writing, music-loving people around them? I mean, I'm a ball, right? That's not funny. <laughs> but it really would be like having a bunch of legs on Mr. Potato Head or a bunch of eyes or a bunch of ears. You can't really do much of that. And so I knew to draw people who were different around me because I need people who say, let's try that. Let's experiment a little bit. How about this out of nowhere? Oh, no, Marion, no, let's not. <laughs> right here. Arturo, Tyler, Shauna, Matt, your core Chapel Roswell staff. Do you know how different they are? Do you know how creative they all are? How amazing they all are? They lead, they work, they see things differently. And their creativity and diversity makes an amazing worship. Your Chapel Roswell band, you have such an amazing gift. I know that a lot of people come to Chapel Roswell just to listen to them. There are people who play these different instruments and the same people who can play all these different things. And the music they create is powerful. There's a unity there. We have a great ministry here. It's called Dare to Care, and it's a disaster relief and they go and they work on people's homes who've been impacted by hurricanes and tornadoes and damage. And in fact, we have a team leaving today with Matt Bolton. And don't worry if you missed this one, there'll be another one every single month for the next 12 months. And we want you to be a part of it. And one of the reasons that I absolutely love this ministry and the leadership around it is because from the very beginning when we were talking about making this commitment, they said, look, we can't all be contractors on this mission trip. We can't all be contractors. We can't all be handymen or we can't all be handywomen. We need a bunch of different people to make this work. And I said, okay, what kinds of people do you need? What skill sets do you need? And they said, we're going to need a contractor. We're going to need someone who understands equipment, but we're going to need someone who is a relationship maker. Someone who can sit with the family whose home we're working on and actually talk with them and build a relationship. We need someone who's willing to pray with the families and lead us through prayer and devotion. We're going to need somebody to take care of our paperwork and finances because they're not good at that. They're going to need people who help them think about, you're going to have to eat. Let's think about the agenda of the day, the order of the day. 
They want to have this whole around people, all these skill sets to make it work. It's just like Sunday school. We can't have a Sunday school with a bunch of teachers. We can't have Sunday school with a bunch of listeners. We can't have Sunday school with a bunch of introverts or a bunch of extroverts or a bunch of committals or a bunch of non-committals. We got to have a little bit of all of it to make it work. We have to have everyone doing their part to make the body work. As frustrating as it is. I'm not asking you to live with everybody. I'm asking you to respect the fact that the spirit of Christ that lives in you lives in the very people that you have canceled, ignored, and defriended and vowed never to see again. I read a theologian this week describe the human body. And I know theologians probably aren't the best ones about this. So if I'm wrong in my numbers, please tell me later. But a theologian wrote that the human body is made up of 206 bones, 639 muscles, and six pounds of skin. And every single time the body takes a breath or takes a look or smells, it takes hundreds and hundreds of things happening all at once seamlessly. And that's what we're being called to do. All of our hundreds and thousands selves in the church, we are called to pull together, to connect back in and take a step toward that which is in front of us and make it look seamless. Not because we're all in agreement, but because we all believe that the Spirit calls us together equally. You may think you're a foot, <laughs> but you may not be. You may think you're an ear, but you actually might be a mouth. It kind of might surprise you of the gift that you're really called to have. There's another great campus minister who tells this story. His name was Will Williman. And he was a chaplain at Duke University, and this is what he said. I had a student I sort of mentored who became inspired to go on a mission trip with the Wesley Foundation on campus. He spent a week in South America building a school and interacting with families who would benefit from their work. He came back from this trip changed, professing a newfound faith and calling. He even expressed an interest in missionary work as a vocation. A couple of weeks later, his, this student's parents set up an appointment with me. And the mother began, ever since that mission trip, our son has been acting very strange. He's given up all of his goals. He was going to medical school. Now, he's even toying with the idea of finishing his undergraduate degree and joining the Peace Corps. I responded, well, you must be proud. To which the father responded, proud? We must be proud. No, this is your fault. <laughs> what on earth are you encouraging him to do? I thought to myself, no, the question is, 
Who are you discouraging him from becoming? We all hear differently. We all see differently. We all love differently. We all taste differently. We all live differently. We all experience the world differently. And the end of the scripture that I read earlier says this. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Find the exact place that you are called so that we can do the work together. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious and holy Lord, we thank you for a moment in a week where we can be together in this place. And we thank you for moments of music and moments of scripture. May we hear this time differently and experience and take what we experience into the world. Lord, we ask that you be a part of everything in our lives. So whatever we have done this week, if we have taken a misstep, if we have added to the hurt of someone else, intentionally or not, forgive us. If we have passed by the need of someone, forgive us. And Lord, take us into this new week, providing us opportunities. Opportunities to see the person differently, to hear the need differently, and to experience you in such a way that we are called to be different. And Lord, for the church, we ask that you take us and bless us in our diversity. But may you also show us ways of reconciliation. May you show us ways of building bridges. And may you show us ways that are much, much greater than cultural issues we argue about. May we be part of those who want to reach across and share more of your grace and love, no matter how hard it is. Lord, there are people in this community that have challenges ahead of them. Challenges of diagnosis, of sickness, of illness, and we pray blessings on all of them. And may we be here in a way that lets them know that we're here to help, whether it's food or a phone call. When we feel the nudge to help, may we do it. Lord, there are people in this community too who have celebrations, celebrations of good doctor's appointments and celebrations of birthdays and anniversaries. May you be a part of those wonderful things as well. And may the sense of joy that we feel when we celebrate it, may it just infuse everyone around us. And may our love for you be so contagious that other people follow us into it. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of your son, amen. There are so many ways to respond through chapel. Of course, we invite you to respond with your financial gifts and you can do that using your phone 
uh, on the ways to give or uh, here on the screen. But during the season of Epiphany, we have different responses that we are continuing week to week. And so I'd remind you, here we have Star Words. And um, we weren't together last week in person. Uh, We enjoyed our snow day. But you'll remember through that recorded message online that we have star words. And on every star, there is a word. And so we invite you this end of our song, toward the end of our worship here, while the band are playing, you can come up and pick any star. They all have different words. Just pick a star that you feel called to pick. And that's your word for the year. And it's a time for you just to put it somewhere that you can see it, on your window, on your car, on your coffee pot, in your room, wherever you want to put it. And you can just pray over it and have that word with you. Another way that we ask that you respond is through these green forms in your pew because we want to be able to give and work together, Chapel Roswell. And so we're asking for your help and your response in it. We're not asking you to completely fill this out today. Again, we're going to have our rolling responses through the season of Epiphany. And so we invite you to take, you can fill it out during the last song and put it back in these baskets, or you can take it home with you. This is not just a simple questionnaire. Questionnaire. This is a time for you to be intentional about the gifts that you have or that you want to discover and the work that you want to be a part of. And so we invite you to do that. All of these things are ways that we can respond to the gifts and to the security that we have been given in Jesus Christ. And so we thank God for that and we sing those praises with our Chapel Roswell Band. So let's stand and let's sing together.